Amen. I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to two openings of Scripture, first Galatians chapter 3 and then Romans chapter 4. While you're turning, I'll bring you up to speed uh, what Paul is talking about and what he's been talking to the Galatians about in the first uh, couple of chapters. Uh, it seems that after Paul had established the churches in Galatia, Galatia is a region, not a town. After he had established the uh, churches in Galatia, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby specifically are the places where the Bible mentions that Paul went and established works. Apparently, somebody from Jerusalem, Jewish leaders from Jerusalem or some committee of, of Jews, Jewish Christians from Jerusalem, the church of Jerusalem, has come in and tried to undermine the work that Paul did in establishing the churches. Now, the way that they did that is that they told the people that everything Paul told you and preached to you about Jesus, that's right, that's good, but we're still supposed to keep the law of Moses too. And as a result, Paul is, is writing a letter of correction to the um, churches in Galatia, but this is probably the time that he pins the letter to the Hebrews, what we know of as the book of Hebrews. The reason, or one reason, possible reason that there's no uh, stated author to the, uh, in the book of Hebrews is because it was attached to this letter to the Galatians. So Paul's got something to tell the Galatians, the Gentile Christians about, and he's got something to speak to the, um, the Jews, the Jewish Christians as well. Somewhere along the line, these uh, letters became separate or got separated, and so we have um, an account to the Hebrews that does not claim an authorship or there's nobody specifically that identifies that it was them. But one of the things Paul ends the book of Galatians with is he said, you see how large a letter I've written to you? Well, the book of Galatians by itself is just six chapters. That's not a big book. It's not as long as the books that are the letters that were written to the church at Corinth or Romans. And so there's got to be something. There's got to be some meaning that Paul had and uh, was referring to when he talked about the large letter or the long letter. Well, if you put the book of Hebrews together with the book of Galatians, it's the biggest or the longest that Paul wrote. So that might be another hint to us that the book of Hebrews was written by Paul. But here's Paul's uh, conclusion and his admonition to the church at Galatia, beginning in verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus has been evidently set forth and crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He's saying, how did you get saved? Did you get saved by keeping the law of Moses? Well, of course not. They got saved by believing in what the work of Jesus on the cross. Verse 3, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? You got born again by the work of the Holy Ghost through faith. Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? See, folks, if keeping the law is necessary, then Jesus didn't do a complete work. Or the blood that he shed wasn't sufficient to, re to redeem mankind, to bring us into redemption. Thank God it was. Are you so foolish, having been begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it yet be in vain? In other words, he's saying, have you turned loose of everything that you knew to be true? Have you turned loose of everything that I taught you when I was there? It's not too late. Take hold of the truth. He therefore, verse 5, He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, 
Doeth he it? Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now notice verse 4, or I'm sorry, is verse 5 again. Notice it. He's talking about people that are working miracles among them. God was in the miracle business in the ministry of Paul. God was in the miracle business in the churches at Galatia. And the Bible says God's no respecter of persons. So if he was in the miracle business in one church, he had to be in the miracle business at every church. So Paul just casually asks. He says, he's already covered the, the salvation part. Did you get born again by the works of the law? Or did you get born again by believing or having faith in the work of Jesus? Well, we know the answer to that. It's always by believing through Jesus and confessing him as your Lord that salvation comes. But then he asked another question. He said about how those of you, he questions those of you that ministers the spirit to you. Now that could mean a couple of things. We certainly would have to uh, understand that it means brought people into the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But there may be other things that he uses or includes in the ministering to the spirit or ministering the spirit to them that he doesn't specify. But if it's nothing more than bringing people into the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Notice he says that comes the same way as believing for salvation by faith. Then he brings out another person. He said, what about the person among you that does miracles, that works miracles? The family of God should be miracle workers. Miracle works should be a part of our DNA as a church, as a body of Christ. So he says, he that ministers the Spirit, last thing I want to know from you, he therefore that ministers the Spirit to you and worketh miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Verse 6, he said, even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Now there's... um, Let's think real life situations here for a minute. I know it's easy for us to read the Bible and sometimes get rose colored glasses about things, but Paul has spent some period of time in Galatia. It was his first missionary journey. His first missionary journey took him to Galatia, the region of Galatia, the first time. It talks about ministering in the cities of Lystra and Derby and Iconium, and he had great success there. So much success that people in town were starting to get stirred up. I believe this was the place where it says the. Um, Uh, the Jews stirred up the the honorable women in the church and they led the charge against Paul. And this charge against Paul caused him to leave town, leave one place because his life was threatened. But then they followed him to a nearby city and they stoned him for dead. The Bible says they left him for dead. Now folks, people whose purpose and experience is stoning somebody they know, what the, they know what their intent is. Stoning was not meant as a form of punishment. Stoning was operated or uh, undertaken to kill the individual. I believe they did kill Paul. The Bible says Paul was left for dead, and after the, the stone throwers left, the Christians, the church there, gathered around about him, and he rose up. Then he went back to the place where the, the stoners had come from, And he proved the truth of the things he was saying about Jesus. Now, Paul writes back to these churches. I see kind of a hint of him saying, or at least implying, if anybody's seen a miracle, you have. 
But then he asked the question, he said, those that work, that ministers the Spirit to you and work as miracles, how does he do it? Does he do it by the hearing of faith or does he do it by the works of the law? Well, obviously it's the hearing of faith. And then notice what he says. He answers the question. He said, even as Abraham believed God. Now, answer me this. Why does Paul not therefore, at this point, at that uh, moment in time, when he's writing this letter, why does he not try to describe the, the faith of Abraham? Why does he not clarify or identify what the faith of Abraham is? There's only one answer that satisfies the facts on the ground and in the word, and that is he knows they've known. He knows that he's taught them before. He's been there, and while he was there, he talked about the faith of Abraham. But now look at Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, we know that Paul said himself to the Romans, to the, those that this letter was addressed to, that he's never been there. We know that he said, he's told them that he's wanted to come on t- uh, in different times, but he's always been hindered. He's never been there. And as a result, Paul can't take for granted anything that the Romans have been taught or haven't been taught. He has to carry in this letter that he sends to the Roman churches. He has to carry the fullness of the doctrine written down that he would have taught them and would have led them into. I believe that that's the reason why we have an exposition or a description of what the faith of Abraham really is written to the Romans where we don't have it to anybody else. Every other place that Paul wrote letters back to, he started the churches himself. He knows he's taught them. But he doesn't take anything for granted with the Romans. So, in the book of Romans, chapter 4, verse 16, he said, Therefore it is a faith. He's talking about the difference between faith and works, keeping the law and believing, and accepting and taking hold of things by faith in the previous verses. He says, Therefore it is a faith that it might be by grace. To the end... The promise might be sure to all the seed. He's talking about the promise of redemption, the fulfillment of Abraham's blessing upon the the children of Abraham. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, not just the physical descendants of Abraham, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. He's calling Abraham the father in faith. Now, he's the father in, in the faith, or he's the father of faith to us Gentiles, who are part of the family of God just as much as they are, just as much as he is to the Jews. So now he's going to describe the faith of Abraham. Over in Galatians chapter 3, where he answers the question about ministering the Spirit and working miracles, when he says, even as Abraham, that even as really doesn't bring out the importance of what he's trying to say. Even as means in the same manner as. Even as means just like Abraham believed. Just like Abraham believed. It's not just something that you can call faith. Operate it the way you want to and call it faith. As a lot of the church does. He says it's the same kind of faith. The same steps of faith. The same principles of faith. That Abraham used to believe God. That was acceptable unto God. And counted unto him as righteousness. Well here's the the description. Here's the definition. The explanation. Of what that kind of faith looks like. How that kind of faith operates. And remember he said to the Galatians that this was the kind of faith that makes available miracles in the church, in the body of Christ. This is the kind of faith that ministers the Spirit to people. This is the kind of faith 
that receives healing miracles from God. As it is written, verse 17. As it is written, talking about Abraham, the father of us all in faith. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Let me back up a little bit before we start taking it apart. Where it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. That's a reference back to Genesis chapter 15 verse 1. Genesis chapter 15 verse 1. God appears unto Abraham. And he says, fear not Abraham, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. And then Abraham questions him. He says, Lord, I don't have any children. You promised me children. And I don't have any. And God took him outside. And he said, look at the stars of the sky. Tell me how many there are. Abraham said, well, nobody knows that but you. And God says, so shall your seed be. I have made thee the father of many nations. Your seed will be like the stars of the sky. Now, he's not talking about just the Jews. He's not talking about just the race of the, of the Jews. He's talking about Gentiles that have come in and followed his faith into the family of God too. So he says, look at the stars in the sky. Now, whether Abraham knows that or not at that point, we don't know. The Bible tells us, in fact, it's in the book of Galatians, that the Bible says that God preached Jesus, the gospel, to Abraham. He told him what was to come. He told him about the Messiah that was to come. He told him about the future. And Abraham believed him. Whether that takes place in Genesis 15 or not, we don't know. We don't know exactly when that took place, but we know that he comes to the understanding somewhere in his life that he is going to be a father of not just a race of people, but of multiplied races of people. As it is written, I have made thee the father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, this, this word before him is not really very good as far as the translation is concerned. It means like unto him. It's talking about Abraham following God's pattern of things. Well, what's God's pattern of things? Everything God creates, everything God does, he does through his word. The same faith that he used to create the worlds, he expects us to follow the pattern. Believe in the heart and speak with the mouth. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, or like unto him whom he believed, even God. Well, I what God quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were what's it saying I believe folks that it's saying that by following God's pattern of speaking faith filled words miracle producing words you can just like God does bring dead things back to life you can just like God does and Abraham did call those things that be not as though they were that's God's pattern that's how Abraham believed God as it is written I have made thee the father of many nations that was spoken of Abraham before he ever even had one child it was a promise that every circumstance denied before him or like unto him whom he believed, whom God, whom Abraham believed, even God, who quickens the dead and call those things which be not as though they were. Folks, you need to understand, we all need to understand that we have a promise 
to bring dead things back to life. Just because it looks like some part of your life may be dead, that's not the final word on the subject. Now, I believe that this means literally what it's talking about. It certainly did in Abraham's case. It brought life back into his body and Sarah's body. They were dead to the reproductive operation because of their age, or ages, I should say. Abraham was about 100, and Sarah was 90, 10 years younger than him. But they both passed childbearing years. Well, in his case, it literally brought dead things back to life. It brought life back into their bodies to fulfill the promise of God. But I also mean, believe that it means dead things in your life, things that have been unfruitful, things that have been contrary to the will and the plan and the purpose of God. I'm reminded of when Paul and Silas were thrown in jail for casting the devil out of the little girl in Ephesus, or I'm sorry, in Philippi. At midnight, they prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. I see that as bringing the dead thing back to life. Figuratively speaking, there are a lot of times where the devil tries to tell us and taunt us about things being too late. It's been too long. It's too late now. And it's never too late with God. Jairus' daughter dying before he and Jesus got to, back to his house. That didn't discount the power of God. Didn't change God's ability one bit. So God's in the business and he wants us to follow his example to be in the business with him. Of bringing dead things back to life. Dead parts of our life. Things that he's spoken to us about in years past that have never come to pass. They're just as real to God as the day that he first spoke them. They can be to us too. So here's how God works. God quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. And the Bible specifically says that Abraham was like God in those things. So he's speaking life to his body. He's calling his body that by every circumstance looks dead to, having, to being able to have children. Same thing with Sarah. But he's calling things that be not as though they were. He's calling his body youthful. He's calling his body strong. He's calling his body able and capable of producing a child. And the Bible says that's how God works. Verse 18, who against hope believed in hope. That just simply means Abraham had no natural circumstance to hope in. There's nothing about what he saw in his body or in Sarah's body that told him that he can have children. That he can be the father that God promised that he would be. Not one circumstance in his life contributed to what God had promised. Every circumstance that he saw contradicted God's promise. Made it seem as if God's promise could not be fulfilled. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. Now the sentence structure refers us back to who against hope believed in hope. If against hope he believed in hope, he had to have some basis for his hope. And it tells us specifically that the circumstances were not the basis for his hope. So what was the basis for his hope? That which was spoken. Specifically, when God said, pointing him to the stars, so shall your seed be. See, folks, circumstances are all right until they contradict God's word. 
At the point they contradict God's word, you're going to have to decide for yourself what's true. The circumstances or God's word. Now, there's a difference between something that's real and something that's true. The circumstances really were. The reality of Abraham's circumstances were that his and Sarah's bodies were past the age or the ability to bear children. Those were real circumstances, factual information. Yet God said, so shall your seed be. Your seed will be like the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. At that point, you've got to make a choice. You've got to make a decision. Are you going to believe what you see? The circumstances that negate any hope whatsoever of coming into the fulfillment of God's promise? Or are you going to believe the truth, which is always God's word? Well, it tells us what he did. Here's the kind of faith that Abraham operated in. Verse 19, it says, being not weak in faith. By the way, that's a choice. Being strong in faith is a choice. Being weak in faith is a choice. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. When he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Let me read this to you from another translation. If I can find it here real quick. I wasn't planning to do this. Let me read it to you from uh, the American Standard Version. Verse 17. As it is written, the father of many nations have I made thee. Before him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls the things that are not as though they were. Everything's pretty consistent so far. Who in hope believed against hope to the end that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was, had been spoken, so shall thy seed be. And without being weakened in faith... He considered his own body now as good as dead. He being about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb, talking about the circumstances, talking about what he sees, the facts on the ground. Yet, verse 20, yet looking under the promise of God, he wavered not through unbelief, but waxed strong through faith, giving glory to God. Do you see that in verse 20? It said, yet looking under the promise of God, he wavered not through unbelief. That's what the Bible is trying to get across to us. It's trying to show us that Abraham found hope against the physical circumstances of his body, the physical reality of his body. Where did he find that hope? He found it in what God said, the thing God promised. So shall your seed be. So therefore, He's got a choice to make. Am I going to be weak in faith or am I going to be strong in faith? And the Bible tells us the one thing that makes the difference between those two. What you look at. The one thing that draws the line between faith, weak faith and strong faith is what you look at. Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. That's the circumstance, the reality of the circumstance. When he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God. How do you stagger at the promise of God? Through unbelief. But was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. The Bible tells us that Abraham stayed strong in faith by looking at the promise. 
instead of looking at the circumstance, instead of looking at the condition of, the, of his and Sarah's bodies, he's looking at what God said in, instead. He considered not his own body. He didn't let the facts of his body or the age of his body or the age of Sarah's body, he didn't let that deter him from the reality that God gave him a promise. And if God's word is true, then no matter how old he is, he and Sarah are going to have children. Now we look at that and we think, oh, wow, that's great. But apply it to your own situation. That's what this explanation and description of Abraham's faith was designed to do. That's why Paul's writing to the Romans. He's taught this already in every church that he's been to. The Bible says Paul wrote to the uh, Corinthian church and he says, I've been a wise master builder because of the the grace that God has bestowed on me in the office that I hold. He said, part of what I do is build wisely. He called himself a wise master builder. In other words, he's gotten from the Holy Ghost a pattern of teaching The revelation of the things that Jesus has shown him was specifically for the purpose of building a strong church. Remember, that's what Jesus said he'd do. He said, upon this rock, the knowledge that he is the son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not be able to prevail against it. Well, Paul has tapped into this wise master building plan. Jesus and the Holy Ghost have shown him and revealed to him, here's the way you need to build a church. And so he's done that with the Galatian churches. But he's never been to Rome. He has to do this by letter to the Roman churches. And so he defines and identifies, here's how Abraham believed God. And the biggest part of it, the biggest component of Abraham believing God, receiving the promise, and it being counted unto him for righteousness. The biggest component is what he looked at. Is what he looked at. Folks, the simple truth is this. The faith receives from God, the faith that receives miracles, the faith that receives healing, is all about what you look at. It is required of us to look at what God said and not the circumstances if we're going to receive a miracle. You remember the story of Jonah. Jonah runs away from God because he doesn't want to preach in Nineveh. He doesn't want God to forgive him and spare them from judgment. And so he starts running away from God. He gets on a ship going in the other direction and a great storm arises. And this storm is so great, so strong, so unlike anything the, the captain of the ship or the crew has ever seen before, they conclude that this is a supernatural thing. They conclude that somebody, some force, some personality is behind this storm because he's angry at somebody. So they go through the whole thing. They go through the whole crew. Finally, Jonah speaks up and says, it's me. If you guys want to be spared, throw me overboard. Well, they're afraid of that making God even angrier, so they won't do it until the last minute. Finally, he convinces them. Jonah convinces them to throw him overboard. And the Bible says that Jonah is swallowed by a great fish. Now, folks, if he's swallowed by a great fish, that means he's in the belly of the fish some way or another. He's inside the fish. So can we conclude or can we say it this way? He's surrounded by negative circumstances. 
I think that's putting it mildly, wouldn't you think? He talks about, he alludes to some things regarding the, uh, his skin being eaten away by being inside the fish and all that kind of stuff. He gets pretty gross in his descriptions. But one of the things that he says is just remarkable. He says, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. They that observe lying vanities. He calls every circumstance that he's surrounded by. He calls this whole fish a lying vanity. Then he says a couple other things. He says, I will pay my vows. And I will offer up a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Because the Lord is salvation. Now let me ask you this. Well, we don't know for sure. Maybe there's no point in asking the question. But somewhere between the time that the storm arose and he was swallowed by the fish, he's changed his purpose. He makes a vow unto God. Okay. This is all about me not obeying you and going to Nineveh to preach. But I'll do that. So when he says, I'll pay my vows, that tells us that he's had a change of heart. He's now on God's side, willing to do whatever God wants him to do which he knows in this case is go to Nineveh and preach. And so everything that contradicts, everything that conflicts with him going to Nineveh, preaching to Nineveh and saving them from judgment through their repentance, every part of that, the circumstance that he's in, Every part of the circumstance, every part of the fish, everything that's happening to him, every discomfort through the, the flesh being eaten away and the weeds wrapped around his head, every bit of that is a lying vanity because it contradicts what God said would be. And once he changes course, once he says, once he makes the vow, and again, we don't know exactly when it is, it's got to be between the time that the, the storm started and he winds up in Nineveh. It's got to be somewhere in there. He makes a vow and he says, God, I'll do what you want me to do. And immediately, he doesn't spend any time worrying about having made a mistake. He doesn't spend any time trying to repent from his sins. He makes a vow. And the only vow that would count would be the one that he knows what God wants him to do. He makes a vow and instantly he's back on God's side. Instantly. Now, folks, you may have run away from God from some things in your life, but you haven't done anything like Jonah did. And if Jonah, in a pretty extreme situation of running away from God, refusing to obey what God wants him to do, refusing to obey what he knows God wants him to do, if he can get back on God's side that quick, then so can you and I. Remember, God looks on the heart. Man sees the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. So inside this fish, it's God and Jonah. For Abraham, it's Abraham, Sarah, and God against impossible circumstances. So again, Jonah says, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. We could say it this way about Abraham. If Abraham had looked to or considered his body, he would have forsaken the promise and the fulfillment of the promise that God had made. This is very much in line with the things that the Bible tells us in the Old Testament concerning Israel. In Numbers chapter 21, it tells us that the people begin to murmur against Moses and against God, and poisonous snakes, fiery serpents, came into the camp. Now, there are other places in the Old Testament that say that fiery serpents were in all of the wilderness. 
And the only time we see any entrance into the camp of Israel or any harm done by them among the Israelites It's when they turned away from God and murmured. They did what Jonah did. They started coming. to God and God says make a brass serpent on a pole now this represents Jesus in John chapter 3 Jesus says it represents him he says as Moses lifted up the pole the fiery serpent in the wilderness so the son of man should be lifted up and after three days shall rise again so Jesus says the fiery serpent on the pole is a type of him when he became sin that's why it's the serpent on the pole not a lamb on the pole and so God tells, tells Moses, make this fiery serpent on the uh, brass, put it on the pole, and tell everybody, everyone that looketh upon this shall live. Now the word look there does not mean a casual glance. It means to gaze at intently. In other words, it means don't take your eyes off of it. Now folks, I don't have any doubt in my mind that the reason that that's important is because the snakes are at their feet. And this is a type, this is an example of what God requires of us. The faith that receives healing from God, the faith that receives miracles of God, is the kind of faith that looks under the promise of God and not anything else. Looking at the promise of God, Abraham waxed strong in faith. His strength, the strength of his faith, was determined by his intent gaze to see the word and the word only. That's what it means when it says he considered not his own body. Folks, Abraham knew how old he was. He knew how old Sarah was. He knew what the conditions of their flesh were. But he didn't choose to look at those things. If he had, he would have been observing lying vanities and the promise would have never come to pass. But instead, he looked and kept his focus kept his attention, kept his gaze on the promise of God. And everything else that contradicted the promise, he looked away from to keep his eyes on the word. Again, verse 19, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. 
but was strong in faith. How? Looking under the promise of God. That's what made him strong in faith. It's what makes you strong in faith. It's what makes me strong in faith. It's what makes anybody strong in faith. Looking under the promise of God. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he, God, was able also to perform. And therefore, notice the next verse, notice verse 22, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. In other words, this is the faith of the righteous. That's you. You and I are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are the righteous. And this is what the faith of the righteous looks like. We look at, we focus our attention on, and we consider only the promise of God and not the circumstances that contradict it. This is a lot like what Proverbs 4 verses 20 through 22 tells us. My son, attend to my words. Look at the promise of God. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Incline your ear unto my sayings. That doesn't mean just listen to what God said. It means keep hearing it. Now, how are we supposed to keep hearing it? By saying it again and again and again to ourselves. That's what inclining your ear to his sayings means. It does not just mean accept that the word of God is true and so take hold of it. That's true enough. But it means continue to hear it. First time you hear it may be from somebody else. But after that, you're going to have to hear it from yourself. And isn't that what Abraham did? Didn't he recount the promises of God and call those things that be not as though they were? Didn't he call those things that be not as though they were and speak life unto his body because of the promise that God had made to him? The Bible says so. He says, according to that which was spoken. So he kept telling himself, the faith of Abraham, the faith that receives miracles, is the faith that continues to speak to yourself about what God promised and what God said would be. My son attended to my words, inclined thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from before your eyes. That would have something to do with what you look at, wouldn't it? Let it not depart from before your eyes. Brother Hagin used to say it this way. See yourself with the answer. If you're looking at the word of God and looking away from lying vanities, contradicting circumstances, then when you look at the word of God, you're going to see yourself with what it promises. Next, it says, keep them in the midst of your heart. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Now, the Bible talks about with the heart man's believes and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. But that word salvation does not just mean forgiveness of sins. It means everything that was included in in salvation that came through the redemptive work of Jesus. And the Bible says in Isaiah 54, uh, Isaiah 53, verse 4, And in many other places throughout the scripture, it says Jesus paid the same price of shedding his blood for your healing as he did for your spiritual condition and forgiveness of sins. So when the Bible says, keep them in the midst of your heart, I see a perfect marriage 
between believing in the heart and speaking with the mouth. How do you keep the word of God in your heart? By saying it again and again and again. God told Joshua that that was the means of meditating that would bring him, meditating in the word, that would bring him success in every area of his life. Well, if it'll bring Joshua success in every area, then it'll bring you success in every area too. I wonder if one of those areas include healing for the physical body. The Bible says yes. So when it says Abraham kept his eyes on the promises of God, he's keeping his mouth repeating them too. Abraham's going out every night and look at the stars. He's saying, God said, look at that. So shall your seed be. Every time he had an opportunity to see the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky, he's reminding himself. He's holding fast to the promise God made. And he's saying, instead of, well, I don't feel any stronger today, Lord, than I did yesterday. He's saying, so shall my seed be. So shall my seed be. I'll say it again. I think it's one of the most important things that we can ever get across. It's certainly one of the most important things that Paul thought necessary as a wise master builder to teach. And that is the faith that receives from God. The faith that works miracles. The faith that receives miracles. Is dependent on what you look at. Look away from lying vanities, as Jonah said, and look only to the Word of God. And folks, that'll bring you through any case and everything. That'll set you on high. That will cause circumstances in your life to be completely changed. It'll cause your body to be completely healed. What are you looking at? It's a question we need to ask ourselves consistently. What are we looking at? Because the devil always wants to get you into a comfortable place where you're not exerting physical or exerting spiritual effort toward the word of God. What I mean by that is the faith that receives, the living faith that receives healing and miracles from God is the faith that is speaking the word of God because its eyes are always upon it. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Jonah's telling us, or we should say the Holy Ghost is telling us through Jonah's experience. He's saying, everything that you want, everything that you need is available to you by the mercy of God. Whether or not you take hold of it, whether or not you receive it, is dependent on what you look at. Everything that contradicts God's word, every factual circumstance, every reality, natural reality, physical reality in your life that contradicts God's word is a lying vanity. Because both can't be true. The reality of the circumstances are either true or the word that those circumstances contradict is true. You decide. And what you decide determines the difference, makes all the difference in weak faith and strong faith. So Paul is telling the Romans what he hasn't had a chance to teach them before. Another part of this that I find interesting is that the Galatian churches were by and large Gentile churches. How in the world would they know anything about Abraham's faith if Paul hadn't taught them? How else could Paul just have assumed that when he says miracles are worked by the faith, the same kind of faith that Abraham had, 
How can he take for granted that he doesn't need to teach them Romans 4? How can he take for granted that he doesn't need to write to them another chapter about what Abraham's faith is? There's only one answer that satisfies the question. And that is because he knows he's taught them before. And it must have been a major part of his teaching. It must have been an important and major part of his doctrine for him to make one statement about miracles are produced by the Abraham kind of faith and not have to back it up with additional teaching. And remember, Paul was a wise master builder. Well, if that's the way Paul built the church, and you and I are the church too, shouldn't that be part of what we build into our own lives and our own walk with God? Decidedly, yes. And it's all about what you look at. Paul said it this way, writing to the, another letter to the uh, Corinthians. He said, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal. That means subject to change. It means temporary. Subject to change. Every circumstance that ever comes into your life that contradicts God's word is subject to change. Now, what's going to bring about that change? Your faith. You choosing to look at the word of God instead. You keeping the word of God in your heart and speaking it out of your mouth. That's what brings dead things back to life. That's the way to call things that be not as though they were. And that receives, that kind of faith receives miracles. Thank God he's still a miracle worker. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We love the fact that you've given us your word. You've made arrangements and made available to us victory in every area and every aspect of life. We thank you, Father, for victory over sickness and disease. We thank you that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sickness, and with his stripes we were healed. Now, the circumstances in our body may contradict that, but we choose to operate as Abraham did in the kind of faith that receives even the miraculous. We choose to look away from the lying vanities of the circumstances and consider not our own bodies or the deadness of our bodies, but instead look to the promise of God, which says Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes were healed, which says that he will restore us to health and heal our wounds, which says that the work has been done, the work is accomplished, which says surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sickness. And with his stripes, we are healed. We're not healed when our body says so, Father. We're healed when your word said so. And that's already been done. That's already been accomplished. So Satan, we serve notice on you. We will consider not the lying vanities around us. We refuse to observe any circumstance, every circumstance that's in contradiction to the will of God, that's in contradiction to God's word. Instead, we choose to look only at the finished work of Jesus as our healing and our deliverance. Thank you, Father, that that produces miracles. As we hold fast the profession of our faith and look only to your word, we thank you that that produces a miracle result of healing and health in our mortal bodies. In Jesus' precious name.
And everybody that agrees with that, say amen. 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 We need to check up on ourselves, see what we're looking at. Always look under the word and the word only. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.